Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, The Ten Commandments. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, They'll Never Miss It. We've been studying the Ten Commandments, and today we come to the eighth. Here's what it says. You shall not steal. That's in Exodus 20, verse 15. It needs to be said that stealing or theft, well, it's a monstrous problem today. The U.S. reports that $35 million is stolen from retailers by shoplifters every single day. And one person out of 11 are shoplifters at some time in their lives. That's incredible. And the Retail Council of Canada reports that not only is shoplifting a problem, but so is employee theft. In fact, employee theft might just be a bigger problem. Every year, employee theft costs Canadian businesses about $1.4 billion. I mean, the costs are staggering, resulting in numerous bankruptcies of businesses and also about a 2% rise in the cost of consumer goods. 2%. You know, security firms regularly talk about the 10-10-80 rule. 10% of employees will never steal under any circumstances. 10% will try to rob you blind. And 80%, the vast majority, will steal under certain conditions. You know, if the time's right or they're depressed or an item seems large or small or what, you name the reason. That, of course, means that in Canada today, about on average, 90% of the population is stealing. And what is especially of interest is that most of those people see absolutely nothing wrong with stealing. They have no ethical dilemma at all. You know, the Retail Council of Canada gives the the top five reasons employees give for stealing from their employers. Number one, I'm underpaid and take only what I deserve. Number two, the company makes me mad and this is my way of getting even. Number three, everybody does it and I'm no different from the others. Number four, The company expects it and just writes it off. Number five, my company makes huge profits so they can afford it. See, I want you to notice the last two reasons. They boil down to this. They'll never miss it. The same is said by bank robbers. After all, banks are insured. They'll never miss it. It's a common justification for stealing today. It doesn't matter. It's no big deal, but it is. In Canada, one car is stolen every seven minutes, and each year, 40 people die from the ensuing accidents of a theft. So let's talk about our relationship to things. You know, in our day, the world of things is the subject of intense philosophical debate. Capitalists argue for the right of private property. You have a right to property ownership, and once having earned that or obtained it, you've been given your stuff. No one has the right to take it. And communists have argued the necessity of state ownership, that all property is jointly held by the state, and hence, no one has the right to take it for themselves. But but the Bible presents us with something very different. Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's because God created everything that the psalmist would say in Psalm 24 verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. In other words... Since God created everything and since God sustains the creation, he maintains the ownership rights to this earth. Unlike all other systems of economics in the Bible, God commands and maintains ownership of everything. 
So let's begin with the most basic biblical concept of all. God owns everything. But that, of course, is not all the Bible says. After the creation of the man and the woman, God gives them a very specific command. Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And thus the Bible makes it clear that we human beings are the stewards of what God owns. That means that God has entrusted his property to us to care for and provide for it in a way that he has determined. And what God wants of us is that we subdue the earth. Psalm 8 verse 6 says, You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. And the history of mankind on this earth is exactly that. We've built dikes that hold back the sea in Holland. We've built a massive canal that joins the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean in Panama. We've built a commuter tunnel under the ocean to join England to France. We've learned how to fly. We've learned how to master many diseases. We've taken riches of the earth from mines and from shafts burrowed into the earth. We've harnessed electricity. We found a way to make our fields produce food in such abundance that if we shared, we could so easily feed the earth seven and a half billion people. That's called dominion of the earth. Now, from those two biblical statements, that God owns everything and that he has given us dominion and we are to act as stewards, God now has given us an assignment. You know, in the Old Testament, we can see that God deliberately placed the peoples of the earth in different places of the earth. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9, it puts it this way. It says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. And in other words, God has divided up his assignment to rule the earth by dividing out the earth into various people groups, and then God takes among these people groups Israel, his chosen, and settles them into Canaan. But there's more. Numbers 33 verse 54 says to Israel, you shall inherit the land by lot according to your clans. To a large tribe, you shall give a large inheritance. To a small tribe, you shall give a small inheritance. Wherever the lot falls for anyone, that shall be his. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. And that's what the book of Joshua is all about. It's about Israel going into the promised land and from the owner of the earth, they are assigned their own portion. It's now theirs. They're, they're God's stewards to have dominion over this portion of the land to rule it and govern it for the glory of God. But in Joshua chapter 7, while Israel is taking the promised land, we come upon a theft, and it grinds everything to a halt. I'm reading Joshua 7 verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Now, as to what this is all about, I'm going to come to that, but, but for now, let's just say at the very point where God was giving Israel her portion, her inheritance, we witness a theft. And here's where the drama begins. Theft, we learn, is an attack on God's order. God claims ownership of everything, and ultimately, theft is stealing from God. So let's get back to this man by the name of Achan. He's a part of the Israelite army that crosses the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And the first city that they will attack is the city of Jericho, 
This will be what the Bible calls the first fruit of the inheritance they receive from God. This is where something very important happens. Before the people of Israel attack the city, Joshua gives the entire army an instruction. I'm reading Joshua 6, 17 to 19. It says, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble on it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Now, this is a part of an important lesson that came to Israel from the law. It became known as the law of the first fruits. It taught that every first thing belongs to God. You know, Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your produce. You know, in other words, to demonstrate that you understand the principle that God has absolute rights of ownership to everything, you're supposed to take from the first that you possess and give that to God. Okay, that's the idea. Now let's get back to Achan. What Achan did might seem trivial to some of us. Jericho has been destroyed and there's a pile of wealth now lying all over the place. And if the truth must be known, Israel was going to burn that stuff anyway. And Achan looked and he, he saw a beautiful cloak and about five pounds of silver and about a bar of gold, which, which would have weighed about one and a quarter pounds or 20 ounces. It wasn't going to make him rich, but it was a very nice, tidy present. It gets him into cash flow territory. Now, I don't know the value of gold in his day, but that gold bar that he stole, well, it would run at about, you know, 30,000 Canadian today. So here's what Aiken thought. You know, first of all, this gets me into positive cash flow territory. And then, here's the title of my sermon, no one's going to miss anything. It doesn't mean a thing. It was all going to be destroyed anyway. I'm just going to take this, which doesn't in fact belong to me. Every day we hear from listeners from right across the country, and your words of encouragement mean so much. Sean recently wrote, I often listen to Dr. John's Bible teaching while driving to work. It's given me great insights into God's message to his people. Back to the Bible Canada is indeed an inspiration. Well, we're so grateful for messages just like these, but they only happen because of your partnership in making Bible teaching you can trust available to as many people in as many places in as many ways as possible. One way we want to do that this month is by sending you our very new free combo CD series called Joy in Tough Times. Five messages from Dr. John and five laughing episodes to encourage you and to remind you of where confident joy is really found. So just call us today for your free copy of Joy in Tough Times by calling 1-800-663-2425 or by visiting backtothebible.ca. Let me ask you what you would have done had you been aching. You know, you're struggling to make ends meet and this, this would finally give you some financial breathing space. It would, it would pay your tuition. It would, finally get you the car you need. You'd get ahead on your mortgage payments or your credit card debts and all from money that no one's going to miss. 
He's like the employee that takes tools home or, or the person who finds a wallet with thousands of dollars in cash or the person who borrows but never returns. Or how about the person who pads his or her expense account, charges stuff to the company that's not business-related? Hey, no one's going to notice. It's built into the cost of the company doing business. I mean, all sorts of people do that, and they're not bad, are they? That was Aiken. Now, remember, all theft is from God. Listen to what God says in Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Yeah, yeah. Failing to give God first fruits indicates you don't accept your role as a steward. You reject God's ownership. It's, it's an attack on God's order. But, but we justify it. I, I'm really scarce on money right now. Money isn't even yours. That's the question. But who does it really hurt? So we need to face something. Theft really does affect others. In Joshua 7, after a shocking defeat on the battlefield, Joshua seeks God. In chapter 7, verse 11, God tells him, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. You know, in essence, God is saying theft affects far more than one person. It affects the entire community of God's people. That's why my blessing is removed. That's why you're being defeated on the battlefield. Now, you might be hearing this and you might be saying, well, you know, that's a special time in Israel's history. And and because of one man's sin, everyone suffered. But, but that really doesn't happen today. Let's think about that for a moment, shall we? I want you to calculate the cost of theft. I've already talked about the cost of shoplifting. It costs about $13 billion a year in the U.S. alone. Add to that the cost of employee theft, which might be greater. Now calculate the cost of failed businesses because of that, which is a staggering cost on the economy. Add to that auto theft and insurance rates. Add to that policing costs, security costs. Add to that the costs of identity theft. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's very likely that there would not be one single poor in the country or on the face of the earth if it were not for theft. Listen, here's what I'm saying. Not only was Israel defeated by Achan's sin, but the whole earth is being defeated from the life that God intended because of theft. You know, when God says, you shall not steal, He made that command so that we, the people of this earth, created in the image of God, could enjoy the wealth of his creation. We could be stewards, subduing the earth and living for his glory. Theft is not a way of becoming rich. It is, in fact, a way of becoming poor because theft affects everyone. We might say they'll never miss it, but that, my friend, is a lie. The earth staggers under this crime against God. So let's talk about the nature of theft. You know, eventually, Achan was caught, and then he was asked why he did it. So listen carefully to his answer. It's recorded in Joshua 7, 21. He says, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. You'll notice Achan's motivation. He says, I saw and I covet. I desired. And what did he do? Well, let's put it plainly. Theft is always taking what's not yours. I say this because some people say theft is taking what no one else needs or what no one else will miss. But hear me, anything that you have not paid for or was not given to you as a gift, anything other than that is stolen, just like robbing a bank. So please also notice 
that it can be taken either from the rich or from the poor. Indeed, the Bible commands the rich to be generous to the poor and to lift the poor from their poverty, but sometimes it's easier to steal from the poor than to lift the poor, don't you see? It's not only the poor who steal, the rich steal as well. They steal from the poor by withholding wages or by oppressing the poor. See, theft happens on a number of levels. Theft can be taken from employers. We've talked about that. It's called employee theft, and it is condemned. In fact, to what I have said, I could add the sin of stealing time, goofing off at work. That includes calling in and claiming sick days when you aren't sick. That's theft, plain and simple. It also includes padding your expense account. That expense account was not yours. You took it, and that's robbery. But theft can also be when employers take from employees. 1 Timothy 5.18 says, The worker deserves his wages. James 5 verse 5 speaks of unrighteous bosses. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Bible has a lot to say about paying a fair wage. There were times when companies paid their workers very little. And then they owned the company store and they charged exorbitant prices over there. The Bible calls that theft. And hear me, if you're an employer, you had better pay your employees fairly. Colossians 4 verse 1 says, You have a master in heaven, and he may pay you eternally like you have paid your workers. How would you like that? Theft also happens when it's taken from consumers. That's done by artificially inflating prices. For instance, Proverbs 11.26 says, People curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. In other words, the Bible condemns the deliberate manipulation of prices, the withholding of products in order to jack up prices. Proverbs 20 verse 10 says, Unequal weights and measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. In other words, if you deliberately sell something over market value by fraud, that's theft. This is theft from those who work hard to be able to afford the necessities of life. Now, this is where it gets uncomfortable. It's also theft when it's taken from the government. Jesus said, give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. And sometimes people also steal from their own families. See, I can't tell you how often family members will try to defraud one another when a will is read or they take advantage of one another. And the point is this. There are many kinds of theft, but all of them have but one thing in common. It's taking what's not ours. It's to proclaim solidarity with Achan and look at the Babylonian cloak and the silver and the gold and say, you know, they'll never miss it. It's theft from God. It affects others, and it ultimately is an attack on God's assignment for our lives. You might say to me, well, it's only a book, or it's only a wrench, or it's, it's only a small expense, but it's a violation of God's order. Now, from what has been said, let me offer counsel to those who want to take God seriously and repent. I'm going to suggest four things. First, offer to make restitution. You know, some of us need to follow the example of Zacchaeus. Remember him? He was, a, he was a tax collector and a thief. And you remember what he said to Jesus? He said, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Do you know, this is what the Old Testament taught. Thieves are to restore several times over. And do you remember what Jesus said to him in response? He said, today, salvation has come to this house. 
So we want to make sure that we make restitution. Second, commit to find joy in your work. You know what God's antidote is for theft? It's found in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Yeah, God has an assignment for a special place, a boundary in the promised land in which he wants you to have dominion. And many Christian teachers have taught that work gives dignity over the area of dominion that God has assigned to you. Now, third, live in love. Remember Christ's golden rule. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. That's where love begins. Do you want someone to steal from you? Of course not. Live in love. And finally, fourth, learn to be content and be thankful. You know, some of you have been guilty of theft. Uh, You know, perhaps... You're someone who breaks into houses. Maybe you steal from stores. Perhaps you have something in your home that belongs to your work right now, or to your neighbor, or to someone else. Let me say to you that God has seen your theft, and so he condemns it. But here's the good news. When Christ died on the cross, he died to forgive your theft. Now, this day, be like Zacchaeus. Repent and restore, and find joy in God who gives you enough for you to live. John, a great word. You know, it seems to me that many of us think that if we can get away with it, it's okay. It's not stealing at all. You know, there are so many ways to steal that it's so easy for people to say, you know what, I don't break into banks or, you know, hold a gun on someone. So I am, you know, completely innocent of this. But, you know, any time that we seek to take that which is not ours, Uh, It's stealing. And you're right. I mean, it's uh, everything from, you know, punching in the wrong number at the self-checkout or, you know, or or, or failing to pay our our taxes. Um, You know, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, The fact is this was not ours and we have decided to take it. And God says it's wrong. So, you know, it's it's important for us to, to just embrace in our own hearts and let God determine our morality. Stop defining our own morality and become content when the Lord speaks to us and says, thou shalt not steal. So then, God, you've said it. That's how I'm going to live. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Ten Commandments, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. You know, some things don't mix. Oil and water, plaids and polka dots. It's not that these couplings never occur, but our minds don't really readily pair them. The same holds true with our pains and joys, both expected, but we rarely consider them as simultaneous. But God adjusts our thinking. The Bible reminds us that joy can be found in trials and our tears can be turned into laughter. It's not instant, automatic or self-generating, but a matter of God's grace working within us, like gold refined in fire. Joy can be found in the midst of struggle. So to encourage you as our free gift this month, we want to send you a combo CD series from Back to the Bible Canada and Laugh Again called Joy in Tough Times. Five messages from Dr. John and five joy-filled Laugh Again episodes. Joy in Tough Times, our free gift to you just for calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.